Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available. Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hi everyone, welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today in our call, we have the CEO, Jennifer Bath from Immunoprecise Antibodies. Immunoprecise trades on the NASDAQ and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol IPA. The company is currently trading at $7.10 Canadian with roughly 23 and a half million shares outstanding or about $167 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andriola. Hey, thanks a lot, Trevor. Um, it is my great pleasure to um, have uh, Dr. Jennifer Bath with us today, of course, from Immunoprecise. Um, unfortunately, uh, she couldn't get in front of a, a computer, so we are just going to hear her voice today, but I think that will accomplish uh, what we'd like to today. So, uh, Jennifer, welcome. Um, before we sort of jump into any sort of the, the questions, um, why don't you refresh everybody's memory uh, and certainly for those that are new to the story, uh, tell everybody what uh, Immunoprecise uh, does and what they're all about. Yeah, great. Thank you, Paul. And thanks, Trevor, for the introduction. And um, I, I'd be more than happy to give a, a background here, especially as uh, IPA just continues to grow and continues to change and, uh, you know, really help put this background also for those of you who have been following IPA you know, into some of the context strategically about where we have been going and, and some of the reasons why we've done some of the things. I think some of our strategy now will make a lot more sense to you after this recent acquisition. Um, and so I, I'd like to, you know, revisit that background story with a little bit more um, of that language about where we have been going. And hopefully uh, it will just be really clear to people what our vision has been and, uh, and how we're able to bring that forward to you in a new light. Uh, today. So, um, so first of all, I'll start off for those of you also who may not have much background in IPA or our story. Um, IPA is a contract research organization, so that's better known as a CRO. And what that means is we're hired by pharma companies to discover and develop new antibody therapies to treat diseases. So what we are known for at IPA is our robust technologies and also our scientific rigor. So industry leaders out there are committing to IPA in part due to our ability to customize challenging programs and to ensure the best research and clinical outcomes. So that customization that we have at IPA, it, it really is unlike what you see at most contract research organizations. We don't apply what we refer to as a one-size-fits-all approach to treating diseases. We have decades of experience that have taught our scientific leaders throughout Canada, the US and Europe, not only about the importance and the understanding of how to treat um, a disease as it progresses, but also how specifically we can alter the course of that disease. And also what antibody formats are best suited for a particular therapy. And one of the things also that, that we're quite knowledgeable in is understanding the characteristics that the, those antibody therapies really need to possess. So while most companies out there, they'll onboard like a task coming in from a pharma company of developing a new therapy, and then they'll just push it through one or two different discovery protocols, 
we are always innovating. We're bringing forward the best in class technologies, developing them, acquiring them, whatever it takes to really ensure that we have top-notch technologies to ensure that the outcomes for our clients and our partners are something that they can be proud of. And this enables us to design a custom plan, which is really what's key about what we do to maximize the quality of the output where in our final pool of therapeutics that goes to the pharmaceutical, develop, pharmaceutical developer contains really the most meaningful, the most diverse, which is a word you'll hear us talk about frequently, and the most relevant clinical candidates. So for those of you also not super familiar with our capabilities and or um, listening more recently to our last quarterly earnings call, we did touch on what has really become one of our most popular platforms. And that's our B-Cell Select technology utilizing what we have coined as a function-first approach. Our B-Cell Select technology is one that enables us to screen up to 10 million immune cells per run. So what we do is we go straight to the individually isolated cells and we determine which of them are producing antibodies with characteristics that make them suitable drug candidates. And then we go straight to the DNA sequence that encodes that antibody. And that gives us the genetic code that we need to reproduce that antibody as a drug in the lab. And then we can test it as a potential therapy. So where we excel here is not just in the number of B cells we can reliably screen or the amount of information we can collect about each antibody prior to getting that genetic sequence, but it's actually in the fact that we can also deduce the exact function of each antibody prior to selecting the therapies. So I know we mentioned this in our last quarterly earnings call and transcripts are available of that for that, but I, I wanna put this in some context for, for, for the listeners so that it's clear exactly what we mean by that function first and exactly how it helps us select the best therapies going forward because it really is, it's being adopted widely for a reason. And, and that's because it really does change the game for antibody developers at pharmaceutical companies. Uh, at the end of the process, instead of turning over hundreds of genetic sequences to pharma developers who then need to determine, all right, I have all these sequences, which one encode a meaningful antibody therapy? We test the individual antibodies produced by the cells to determine exactly what their function is. For instance, are they performing in a way that may reduce or eliminate disease? To provide the pharma companies with only the most meaningful candidates to move forward, saving them time and energy and, and obviously also money. So when we, when we talk about an antibody function, we say that you know, we're only selecting candidates that have a particular function, what we're really referring to is the ability of that therapy to carry out a very specific activity to either treat or even cure a disease. So a good example of that would be like in an oncology study. Researchers can test the ability of an antibody to block cell growth by determining, is this monoclonal antibody blocking the connection between the cancer cell and the proteins that promote cell growth? which would be considered an activity necessary for cancer growth and survival. When we perform a functional test such as this, we would select all the antibodies with that particular capability of blocking the binding of the proteins 
And we may even test for the lack of the cancer cell division and cancer cell growth. And then we immediately remove the majority of ineffective drug candidates from the development process so that the pharma researchers can focus their efforts only on the subset of the most promising therapies. And that's the power, the real power behind what we do at IPA's Function First platform. Jennifer, I don't uh -huh. usually interrupt when everybody's yeah, describing, but one, mm -hmm. one of the things I really um, want to make clear is that what uh, what you're really saying is that the, the the sort of the benefit the client gets here is that not only do you find sort of the the mm -hmm. antibody or the therapy, but you're really you're sort of characterizing it or giving as many details as you can so that they mm -hmm. they have significantly less risk as they sort of advance it forward into the different phases of trials. Is that correct? That's, that's absolutely right, Paul. Um, so, you know, one way to look at it as the, the majority of companies out there are, are first and foremost, you know, providing solutions that bring forward a minimal number of candidates mm -hmm. in terms of how unique each of them is. And when they turn them over, it usually just the answer is typically does it bind or does it not mm. bind to a target? And then there are companies who provide slightly more high throughput processes who can also give the genetic sequences of the antibody. However, the majority of the time, those companies are just handing over hundreds of sequences and there's no meaningful information mm. about does that sequencing code for something that binds, that binds strong, that has the function you're looking for? Does it stop that cancer cell from dividing? Mm. You know, any of those questions that would, that would be go, no go decisions for those lead candidates. And so, you know, you're really just kind of it's kind of a, a minimal effort and typically a, a low output um, with uh, in, in terms of the amount of information uh, that really leaves clients and partners kind of on their own to go figure out what, what is actually meaningful about the data you've turned back. Mm -hmm. And we're able to provide them with all of that work with great diversity in the results and also in a fraction of the time that it typically takes to get much less meaningful results. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we call it uh, more shots on net uh, up here in Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I love that analogy, <laughs> especially as a soccer player. Yep. Exactly. Well, Perfect. hockey for us, but yeah. <laughs> um, no, and, and clearly, um, you know, a question I usually get is, you know, why wouldn't, you know, the big Pfizer's of the world or the big pharmaceutical companies, why are they not doing this in-house? Why are they hiring a company like IPA to, to, to do this for them? Yeah, so that's a great question too. So, you know, historically, a lot of pharma companies did try to develop mm -hmm. the, the different um, kind of cutting edge technologies in-house. And, and that actually, we started to see a, a pretty major change in that about 10 years ago, where what was happening is that the types of targets that people were going after were changing. They were getting mm -hmm. much broader. They were getting much more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. And so the number of people that these companies needed to employ with the different skill sets and then the number of technologies and the amount of equipment they needed to onboard mm -hmm. was incredibly vast and they might sometimes only be for you know one or two different targets in a particular disease class and so it didn't enable them to switch directions quickly to be very nimble or to really go after a broad class of diseases so they started seeing a, a large push for these pharma companies to outsource to companies like IPA or mm -hmm. contract research organizations um, and today, the vast majority of pharmaceutical companies continue to do that. 
um, for those exact same reasons. Ultimately, they can move more quickly, they can address a broader range of targets, and then they can tap into specialized personnel who know exactly, you know, how to do that drug discovery on that type of target on that platform and have done it for decades without having to, you know, onboard all of those different skill sets. Um, so it's been a win-win in a lot of ways, with the exception that, you know, contract research organizations have really, over, over the course of time, kind of failed to be truly innovative. And I, that was one of the dearths that we saw in this market. You know, people were just doing really, by and large, what the founder of a company learned to do in grad school and did mm -hmm. well. <laughs> and then they mm -hmm. spun out a little business. And we had hundreds of companies come into this market where they did, you know, one or two things. And that became the... The philosophy was that kind of one size fits all instead of really mastering and then investing in keeping innovative technologies, um, building and growing and um, staying ahead of, of what was needed in the industry. Um, and so, so today it's, it's really at this point, it's, it, there's still the vast majority of the work is outsourced, but the challenge is for those companies to really find um, CROs who not only have the experience, but have the technologies that can get the job done in a shorter period of time with really meaningful output. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about shots on that earlier, um, but really <laughs> I think what distinguishes IPA in a lot of ways is, I mean, we, we've got more than one or two discovery platforms. Maybe, maybe speak to that a little bit and why that, mm -hmm. that's unique and why that's an advantage for, for the company. Absolutely. Um, you know, our philosophy, you know, uh, kind of goes back to this, this recognition that these, these pharma companies were really being asked to, you know, to outsource the majority um, of their work. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, one of the ways that IPA responded to that as part of our, our, our major cornerstone of a strategic plan back in 2016 was to bring, you know, all of these uh, a suite of services, end-to-end -end services in-house um, leading technologies, complementary technologies, but also only those technologies that that uh, really, really brought forward the best of the best in the in the services, um, so that these could all be performed at at one company uh, mm -hmm. and and really reduce the risk of these uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies having to you know cobble together a dozen or more mm -hmm. companies. Um, and so that is definitely true uh, in terms of where we really put our efforts was in that discovery platform first, because the truth is that's really the funnel that's going to mm -hmm. dictate the quality of everything else you do. So, you know, we have this B-Cell Select platform that I, I mentioned to you, which is probably our, our most popular platform right now. And, and part of the reason for that is the function first I mentioned, but also the mm -hmm. fact that it is species agnostic. So if you're going after like an oncology target, for instance, um, it's, a, it's a target that originates in the human body. So it's really hard to get human antibodies to recognize a human target. Mm -hmm. the, the whole point of how the immune system develops is to prevent you from recognizing your own yeah, your own proteins, right? Otherwise, you have an autoimmune disease, right? So the further, you know, away from the human proteome, or in other words, the, the, the more we can use animals that are less like a human in terms of their genetics, the more diverse antibodies we're going to have, which basically means we're going to have antibodies with way more functions. And it's those functions that dictate how good they're going to be. And so that's one of the reasons that platform is so popular is it's species agnostic. We can really use any type of species on that platform, which is almost unheard of. 
And the vast majority of companies are, are relegated to using rodents whose mm -hmm. genetics are very similar to ours. Mm -hmm. um, now, that being said, we also have phage display platforms. We actually acquired a company back in 2018 called BoniQuest Research, um, specifically because they had an awesome reputation for their work in phage display. And mm -hmm. they also brought to the company a lot of downstream capabilities that are important as you're preparing a final product for the clinic. Um, but those capabilities are quite interesting as well. They, they not only have human phage display libraries, so a product is, is human coming out of even the initial discovery phase, but they have camelid uh, libraries, so they can make what's called a VHH antibody. We have uh, what's called an SZFV or fragment antibodies that can come out of our uh, phage display libraries. So we basically can build antibodies of all different formats with that discovery platform and also from multiple species. So antibodies mm -hmm. that are a single chain, antibodies that are bispecific, antibodies that are tri-specific, like small portions of antibodies, all of these have different reasons why you might wanna use one in mm -hmm. a particular situation over another. And that, that starts to boil down to you know, our collective 65 years of experience and knowing which type to use and then how to engineer it properly. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have hybridoma technologies, in particular hybridoma technologies coupled with a immunization platform, which takes 19 to 21 days to immunize compared to a traditional 60 to 80 mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. And then our, our hybridoma platform is, is what we call a single step platform. It eliminates what other companies do, which is months of subcloning. And from the time someone brings in an idea, you know, for us to perform on that platform, to the time we, you know, immunize the animals and have a final product ready for them is about 30 days. And that's compared to a traditional nine to 10 months. So there's different reasons why people love different platforms. And those are some of the discovery platforms. And, and we've really worked over the years through R&D and through acquisition to make sure that at every step of what we do, whether it's building an immunogen, whether it's immunizing an animal, whether it's the discovery platform, whether it's how we characterize them to really get the, the, the ones that are going to translate best in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Every step of what we do, we've really worked to bring forward a multitude of options, knowing that different options work better in different situations. Mm -hmm. And they all enable us to customize programs using our experience, um, knowing uh, typically what is what is really going to provide a candidate that is is uh, mm -hmm. most likely to be successful in the clinic. Mm -hmm. The way so you know we always like to phrase it sort of what problem do you solve for your clients and and here um, you know correct me if I'm wrong what, what mm -hmm. you do for your clients which is typically anything from a small call it a small biotech all the way up to large pharmaceutical companies is you give them the the sort of the the, the the most options available for a specific uh, sort of problem and you give them the most information around those those options right so it's the, the, okay. as many sort of candidates as you can find but you're also giving them as much information as those candidates so that when they when they go forward you know uh, they they either lose uh, or fail as quick as possible or you're mm -hmm. increasing their chance of, of seeing that success going through the phases is that is that correct yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, that's a that's a huge part of it, and and I mm -hmm. think one thing to add to that is that, you know, they, I, I really think clients appreciate. I know they do appreciate that customization and the mm -hmm. the breadth of what we're able to do. However, mm -hmm. most of them do not want to be handed a menu 
They don't want a thousand mm-hmm. service offerings. Well, we literally have hundreds in the course of a whole yeah. program. And so what they really love is that we have all that diversity of options and these tremendous platforms and this ability to customize. But we have the scientific know-how mm. to put together these options in a fashion where we say, this would be best because of this reason. Right. And then this, yes. And so we're really taking a lot of the guesswork out of developing new molecules for, for mm. our clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well, well said. Um, you know, taking a step back, what, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges, uh, you know, developing cures for patients, you know, such as cancer, uh, and why is why is it so difficult? Why are we not finding the cures for cancers uh, mm-hmm. uh, easier than we are right now? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and it's it's a question I get a lot um, mm. uh, because I think a lot of people are frustrated by the lack of uh, of progress that we tend to see in, in oncology uh, therapy. And uh, and you know that makes sense. We've been struggling to treat cancer for a really long time. Um, but it's also, it's a great question because it, it ties in exactly, you know, where we've been and the challenges that what we saw. It's not just challenges for people to, to discover good medicines. It's the whole process by which we go about, you know, discovering new medicines and treating patients. And I think that's really, that's, that's a, a part of where our strategy is really starting to kick in. It's a problem we've seen for a long time and it's a problem we've wanted to address. And that is a big reason why we also um, have been looking at companies like BioStrand. So the, I mean, if I had to pinpoint what I thought the, the biggest challenge was today, I would say it's developing therapies that are broadly applicable um, to, to a, a multitude of patients. And, and if, we, if we look at that, from a patient side, there's just a lot of limit limitations and very significant limitations with the therapies we have. And I, I think cancer is actually the, the best example of, uh, of, of that problem that we have. So the, the, the issue is like current drugs that we have to treat diseases like cancer, they don't work for everyone. And so they're super unpredictable when they're prescribed to a patient. And, and they're typically prescribed based on the outcome of a clinical trial where, you know, there was you know, they were selected based on determinants that are completely unrelated typically to the root cause of what the patient's cancer is. And, and so I, I think one thing that, that we've just tended to forget or actually maybe more realistically have not been able to address in science today is that everyone's genome is different. Everyone's genetics are different, right? And, and everyone's susceptible to different diseases. And when someone gets one of those diseases, they're going to respond very differently to each therapy. And so for treatments to really be effective, they need to be selected specifically. And I think this is the important part. It's specifically for the mutation that caused the disease in the person. Mm-hmm. So if we look at an example, which I think sometimes this makes it you know, easier to kind of digest all the, the, the science and the, you know, the, the, the challenges we have in medicine. Um, if you... If you were diagnosed with cancer today, the odds are, are strongly against you being prescribed the right therapy. So a therapy that matches the exact mutation in the protein that gave rise to your cancer. And the reality is that, that most of the time, the first chemotherapy that's selected is, is not going to work for you. And, and it's kind of grotesquely referred to in medicine 
uh, as as the cut, burn, and poison approach to treating cancer. Mm. And the, the reality is, you know, everyone's disease is unique and, and they shouldn't be treated the same. And it's not a personalized plan that addresses the actual disease the patient has. It's just a broadly applied plan, you know, approach where we treat patients when the exact root cause of the cancer isn't known. And um, if you don't mind me elaborating on that a little bit, I just think this is this is kind of fascinating, Paul, mm-hmm. um, because you know how we get to that point goes all the way back to how CROs are developing the drugs, and then how they're actually being tested in the clinic. Um, and so, you know, when we when we run clinical trials, oftentimes they're being run on the well, if you could see me, you'd see me do little quotation marks with my fingers because mm-hmm. I always refer to it as the type, like the type mm-hmm. of cancer the patient's been diagnosed right. with, you know. And so a trial might be testing a drug for patients who have all been diagnosed with, again, quote unquote, colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So the major challenge in cancer therapies today is the fact that there's no such thing as colon cancer or mm-hmm. living liver cancer, right, or brain mm-hmm. cancer. Instead, it's a multitude of different types of cancers. They arised because there was a specific mutation that changed the structure and the function of a very essential protein, right? Mm -hmm. It goes right back to a mutation. And so, you know, the colon just happens to be the organ that the cancer is growing in. And the actual disease itself Mm -hmm. is based on the mutation. And so to develop a really meaningful drug, it means you'd need to target specifically against the mutated protein. And, you know, that's where we go wrong today, you know, around, I I think I read it was like over 95% of patients will be put on the standard of care. And if that stops working, well, you know, you hope the second option works, or if not, they, you know, they may not make it. And, uh, and so that's why we really, you know, we need to have an informed, you know, contract research uh, development, we need to know exactly what the mutation is, we need to understand the structure of the target. These are all things Mm -hmm. that, that we've been quite good at at IPA. And then, you know, be thoughtful about how we develop specific therapies from a broad selection of antibodies with mm-hmm. a determined function. Uh, and that's very essential to, you know, being able to very precisely treat a patient and also have better in outcomes and fewer side effects. Mm-hmm. You, um, you use the word personalized and um, mm-hmm. we're going towards <laughs> this uh, concept I was going to bring up later about personalized medicine. That's really what we're mm-hmm. talking about here is understanding the human, understanding what the, the illness really is, what other mm-hmm. issues that human might have, and mm-hmm. therefore, um, you know, personalizing that, that therapy or course of action. Um, that's really what we're talking about. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit more because okay. I mean, really what, what IPA has been able to do is, is you know, through its different uh, discovery methods, um, the, the amount of data that you guys have that um, yeah. is applicable to personalized medicine. And of course, mm-hmm. the BioStrand, um, very anxious to sort of hear a little bit about that. But, <laughs> but even before we, we jump into that, um, I keep hearing the term omics. Um, please let us know <laughs> what omics means uh, and why is that important? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know we've been, we've been using that word ourselves mm-hmm. quite a bit lately. And um and it's uh, so omics. First of all, it's the it's really the the suffix that we add to basically the the study of of, of large amounts of of data from different sources, um, including so for instance we have genomics, which is is where uh, field of study where we measure DNA. We have transcriptomics, which deals with 
RNA, just from the from the root of a transcript RNA transcript. We have proteomics, which is obvious, right? For for protein, and then metabolomics for metabolites. And the and the reason why you know we we have been starting to introduce these concepts um, to to individuals is that you know the the omic data analysis is actually typically the starting point uh, for the very first step in developing a new drug. And so that, that starting point is target identification. So a lot of our clients at IPA, they actually start with, before they come to us, right? Like long before they come to us, they oftentimes are starting with like large amounts of clinical trial data, um, mm. omic data, whether it's DNA data, RNA data, protein data, large amounts of omic data, um, from both healthy patients and diseased patients. And then they use these high throughput omic approaches to generate literally like tera to petabyte size mm. data files. So massive amounts of data. And with these data file sizes, like together with differences in, in nomenclature and, and uh, different types of data, and then, um, you know, taking all of that information and being able to like integrate it into data that's actually meaningful, right? When when you when you want to select a target and interesting and meaningful in the biological context is where we've really struggled historically. Um, and so this is really true if you want to understand like a biological function and then make correlations to a disease and, and how to treat it. And so the, you know, the ultimate goal that researchers has is, you know, you, you, you want to determine exactly what genetic mutations exist, right, in the patients. And then what is the impact of that on the protein and its function? And then how can I use that information to develop an effective and safe therapy so that I can exploit that, you know, mutation in the structure? And as I mentioned, like a lot of times, biotech or pharma clients, you know, they come to us with a target in mind, but usually they've spent years analyzing massive mm -hmm. omic data sets, right? Trying mm -hmm. to get some sort of usable information. And then after analyzing those data sets, they typically have to turn to a lot of what we call unstructured data sources. So mm -hmm. primary literature, patent databases, try to understand like what is that mutated protein specifically? What is its role in the disease? You know, why does it give rise to, for instance, this particular type of cancer? Mm -hmm. what research has already been done, you know, what's the viability of the patent landscape, you name it, there's a ton of research to be done. Right. And all of those research areas are incorporated into BioStrands Lens AI software. So what would normally require months or even years of research and enabling access to relevant data, or no normally like months and years of research out there mm -hmm. using multiple software programs, I, I should mm -hmm. also you know, say because you can't analyze typically genomic data on the same software as transcriptomic data, et cetera. Now, you know, what we're doing is enabling access to the relevant data using Lens AI in seconds or minutes, as opposed to months or years. And, and we, can, we can talk a little bit about how that's done and why we're able to search so quickly, but it, it yeah. comes back to the, to the HIPs, which I know several people are interested in learning more about. Yeah. And, well, uh, and yeah, go yeah, ahead. No, I was, was going to say, I mean, yeah. you're, you're diving right into BioStrand. And before we get too <laughs> ahead of ourselves, why don't, like, um, you know, we just, you just announced a 20 million euro acquisition of BioStrand, yeah. which is a, yeah. a company based in, in Belgium. 
Yep. But try to tell us exactly what what is BioStrand? Not not so much what they do, but I mean, a small organization. Um, this is a a software company, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us what you can about BioStrand. We'll get into sort of their problem, the problems they solve, and and some of the, the future possibilities of uh, problem solving from them. Okay. Um, so, in terms of like what is BioStrand, you want to know about the technologies, or yeah. Like uh, well, let's let's dive into revenue. It, sure. um, well, <laughs> Re- uh, type uh, of company. As, as much as you can tell us, um, <laughs> is, is it like is it a hundred people working away on computers? Oh, is it, uh, yeah. Is it, uh, you know, what, what is BioStrand? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so BioStrand is a relatively small, primarily family-owned company. Mm-hmm. Um, they have um, somewhere between 12 to 13 employees. We have a little shuffling going on right now. We're, we're adding some additional positions on top of that, too. And um, it's run, actually, by a husband and wife team. Um, and, uh, and their names are Ingrid Brands and Dirk Van Hifta. And um, both uh, Ingrid and Dirk, uh, the founders, are MD PhDs. Um, they're incredibly, incredibly brilliant. But what I what I actually love most about the way their minds work is they they think outside the box. To them, there are no limits, and they see possibility where other people, especially with very black and white or traditional training, would be very hard pressed to step outside of the line and and and, and realize you know, what they're actually looking at. And, um, and what, what I think is actually interesting here is they were actually practicing clinicians by trade for many, many, many years. And um, they ended up leaving their previous careers when they realized the power behind the codes that utilize the HIFs and, and what we call the multi-level network that they create. Um, and so, the, yes, the company itself is made up mostly of data analysts and coders. And that is primarily, you know, what they do is code software. And, um, and the software has accessibility to uh, not just, you know, therapeutic antibody discovery. That is, that is what they will yeah. be focusing on with us, but it has, it has relevancy to anything in the biosphere that uses a genetic code. So mm-hmm. vaccine development, target development, clinical trial uh, design, clinical trial output data analysis, obviously omic data analysis, agriculture, um, you name it, there's a lot of different applications. Uh, basically, the way I see it is they, they have the ability to basically analyze almost any living cell. If, yeah. Exactly, right? So you even mentioned agriculture. I mean, that's a far step away from yeah. body therapeutics. So yeah. the the breadth of what, what can be um, sort of worked on here is, is very wide. It um, is. It is yeah. really wide. Although one thing that I think is, is maybe one of the coolest things about this, Paul, is mm-hmm. that you know, we tend to put unnecessary filters on, on mm-hmm. our perspective of what we need to include when we do drug discovery, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, anything with a sequence out there in the biosphere is relevant. But the reality is like when we do even, you know, antibody drug discovery, we need to take into account all sorts of information. Again, like again, their software can manage DNA, RNA and, and protein mm-hmm. information all on one software platform. And there is no other, other software that I know of in the world that can do that. But it's going to take it all and it's going to reduce it to the most common denominator, which sounds mm-hmm. like a simplification. It's not. It's actually incredibly complicated. But these mm-hmm. are those hip fingerprints. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you know, because it's narrowing it down to that and you're not searching 
using these algorithms with entire sequences, you're searching with the key fingerprints, which relate not just to sequences, but to function, to strong structure, to very meaningful evolutionary portions of, of um, sequence data out there. You know, if, if I'm analyzing, you know, for a particular antibody therapy to use in a human, I'm going to get back data not just about you know, the different antibodies or maybe the target of interest, I'm going to get information about all other targets that might actually be present in, in the, the human system that could be an unwanted effect, mm-hmm. um, right? Because, and it does that so incredibly quickly again, because you're not searching tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of sequences. You're just deducing to a finite number of fingerprints that are known, that are indexed in the coding that allow you to push that information incredibly rapidly and get it back. Mm-hmm. And it's also gonna give me information back when I'm developing a new drug about the impact that drug development has on my microbiome. Mm-hmm. So all the gut flora, that live in my intestines, they impact my immune system. They impact yeah. what antibodies I do and don't make and, and what drugs might be most efficacious for me mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. All of that data is coming back. So anyway, I could go on and on, but yeah. And, 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 and I, want, I want to try to simplify because I can tell you're pretty excited about it. Then, um, but uh, so really what this does is it, it, it um, First off, you mentioned HIFs. Uh, they've categorized and indexed, I think it's roughly 660 million HIFs. Mm-hmm. That, that's a finite number. And the ability mm-hmm. to, to sort of be able to sift through that and look for certain data that you're looking for is very mm-hmm. unique, my understanding, mm-hmm. very yeah. powerful. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's at this, the speed of a, you know, almost a, a click of a button. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's it's a powerful system, but how does it, how does a client use it? Like if, if I were a pharmaceutical company or if I'm <laughs> one of your clients, yeah. what 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 happens? I walk in the door or I give you a phone call, and I say, you know, you know, what what would I say? Here's my problem, mm-hmm. and, and you guys tell me how you're going to fix it. <laughs> I keep coming back yeah, to fixing problems. <laughs> simplify hey, it as much that's as you what can. We're here to do. Yeah, no, simplify it, as much as you can. Yeah, I, I absolutely will. And, 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 uh, and, you know, the short answer is, is that, you know, people come with all different sorts of problems, and we have mm-hmm. different ways to solve them. But mm-hmm. some of the most common ways are, well, that first example of, oh, my gosh, I'm drowning in omic data. How do I manage this? How do I take something meaningful out of here? And there's a few ways they can use BioStrand to do that. One is they can actually take a license to the software. Mm -hmm. And they can license that software based on the number of users that need to access that software. Um, And... uh, and so for, for larger pharma, that's, that's oftentimes what we see in this industry. They'll be, uh, you know, accessing a large number of seeds for software licenses to be able to, you know, interpret and analyze data on a daily basis and make key decisions. And, and really all companies do that. We access and license several software programs ourselves already prior to purchasing BioStrand because commercial entities cannot use public databases for client data or their own data. They're not mm-hmm. secure. And so this is, they're very common. So, I mean, people can do that and, and plug in and access and connect to the BioStrand software to analyze data from that perspective. Um, however, what we've been seeing here um, as we've been kind of, you know, reading reviews and, and talking to, to some of the prospective clients for BioStrand and also getting feedback from BioStrand on, on recent meetings, for instance, uh, they attended uh, BioEurope, 
uh, as did you know we the, the week before the closing of the acquisition. And what we're finding often um, is that larger pharma are also saying, yeah, that's awesome that we can plug in and that software can do things that, you know, no other software can do. And we've heard that from other pharma clients too. Like it's tremendous what it's capable of doing. Um, however, can we actually connect and give you all of our information and you can analyze it for us? So we can also offer it as a service. And, and I think there's some strong benefits there too for, for companies who are primarily biological based uh, in terms of their research and, and you know, don't have, you know, with a deep bioinformaticists on staff that, that would be able to put that time and energy into that research. Mm-hmm. Um, and so either, either one of those can be done when it comes to the omic data analysis. Now, when it comes to some of the offerings that we can already offer through BioStrand right now, um, and this is something we've already been doing, we have some early adopter clients that we've already uh, talked to about some of the offerings at BioStrand and early adopter clients who came in and said, hey, this is a problem like super specific to this program I'm working on Mm -hmm. with IPA. Can we try and see if Lens AI can solve this? And in those cases, that's kind of like a CRO fee for service setting, you know, where Mm -hmm. they want to come in and say, hey, I have all these drug candidates. Can you run them through your software? And first, make sure I didn't miss any. Mm -hmm. And second of all, you know, see if there's anything predictive about the function of other antibodies out there um, that I might be able to add to my repertoire, maybe ban the number of lead candidates coming through and or can you maybe tell me a little bit about whether or not these are likely to have off-target effects which means like if I give it to a patient is it going to bind to that that mutated protein that's helping cause cancer alone or is it going to also bind to you know a protein on a tissue that's gonna that's gonna cause Mm -hmm. some toxicity and all of that can already be done at BioStrand. So that, that, that kind of fee-for-service application is, is a way for us to expand our offerings in a way that's very powerful and, um, and, and, and not readily available at most CROs. Um, but, but then, as I said, you know, there, there's other ways for them. Uh, well, there's, there's ways where people can come in and custom and say, hey, this is my problem. Solve it right. with Lens AI. Or, you know, again, um, having us do the research for them, which is purely like on the computational side or take a license. And then, I, you know, I don't want to leave out that, that whole aspect of, um, you know, for Talum Therapeutics, uh, which is our, our, you know, subsidiary and affiliate uh, that does its own drug discovery. You know, Talum works on high value uh, therapeutic antibody programs and has already done a couple of projects with BioStrand. Um, during the process of the, the due diligence work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's a huge opportunity for, you know, for Tom Therapeutics to be able to utilize the software to, to further give them an edge in the development of, of uh, these assets. And there's some really interesting kind of changes in the, in the thought process of people's perspective of how AI and machine learning is actually now impacting the value of preclinical assets, mm-hmm. which is, a, is the mission of, uh, of Talum and how it actually brings like the net value um, or may bring in the near future, the net value of preclinical assets much closer to uh, what we consider the net value of a clinical program to be just based on the enhancements we can gain through AI. Um, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, okay. So correct me if I'm wrong. What I, what I just uh-huh. heard is that when it comes to Talum, what yep. you're able to do is, is sort of advance these Talum assets Mm-hmm. by sort of applying AI and getting a lot more data that in some cases you probably would have had to wait to, to see in, you know, human trials or later stages. Yeah. 
Is that what we're absolutely, saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And also offer it to partners within Talum, you know, right. who are really interested in, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways people can access and, and will start accessing quite quite shortly here, the BioStrom offerings. Gotcha. Now, um, the, the question and, and sort of the, the common sense thing I would think here is that you, you have a small company like BioStrand that's sort of working away, toiling away, you know, sort of in their, in their laboratories. They don't necessarily have the same access to clients like you do as a CRO. Mm -hmm. Um, and now does this move that offering much closer to the, the client base that you guys have? It should be easier, if anything, to be able to go to, you know, one of your existing clients and say, hey, yeah. try out this new service along with everything else we've got. Is that the case here? Uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. And yeah. and that we saw that as a, a huge win there because BioStrand, um, you know, first they've been so focused on the coding. They haven't mm -hmm. really been focused on the user interface and they have not really been terribly focused on getting those clients in the door. But the ones that have given feedback, mm -hmm. a lot of them have said, um, first, you know, one, one minor criticism is like, there's so many different ways to attack this and approach it. We don't know what to start, help us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And that's not a surprise. And then, you know, one of the, one of the, um, the, uh, the kind of threads, like a common theme we've seen throughout there is, oh my gosh, this is amazing compared to these large software programs that we're able to access and bring in. However, this company is so small. And, and is it, is it, you know, is it going to be here in a year or two? Because that's a massive investment to make in a, in a, in a company that, you know, may not, may not be there later. And then that's an area where we obviously come in and provide a ton of support and stability and security. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yes, accessing, you know, uh, being there in Belgium, they've kind of more recently just started getting out and telling their story. And, and they're also almost like too too smart for their own good because mm -hmm. they are deep 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 in the omics and the in the data analytics and the bioinformatics and telling the story to like lab scientists directing programs mm -hmm. it has really been challenging for them and to mm -hmm. and to really translate into what the software means for them because the ones heading up the programs are not always the ones doing the large-scale omic data analysis that's, right. you know, you've got to meet two separate groups there and, and they've got to both understand the power of the capabilities. And so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, for them now to be able to access the clients that we have, we've already seen that interest, like I mentioned, coming in mm -hmm. from our early adopters that typically mm -hmm. grab onto our early technologies. Mm -hmm. We already see some bringing really cool ideas forward. And, and now we are, you know, we've spent the last three weeks or so integrating their offerings into our marketing brochures, capabilities, exhibition materials for conferences. Mm -hmm. um, we've put together different case studies of how when our, our existing clients are working with us, they can tap into all these extra capabilities at BioStrand. Um, but maybe one of also the more cool things that we're really looking forward to is that on May 2nd, where we'll be heading out to wow. one of our larger conferences of the year called PEGS. It's Protein Engineering in Boston. We have an event set up there where it is going to be limited access. Um, it will be an annual event. Um, but we will be uh, really presenting some, some very key things from our contract research, including the function first, which you know deals with a lot of data associated with function but also as a way of tying very nicely into BioStrand's capabilities. And our keynote speaker that night will actually be one of the members of BioStrand's management team. Mm -hmm. 
And so on May 2nd, we will be doing our large unveiling in Boston at Pigs. And then we have a, a, a like a double exhibition booth, just this, this kind of like really in your face, massive, but mm -hmm. beautiful exhibition that goes through all the integrated offerings and how omics and data analysis changes everything these clients do before, you know, before they even figure out what they want to work on, um, before they walk in our door and how now we can back up several years in bringing them through this process in a very meaningful way into the CRO door and really help them from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And and so, so, yeah, that access to those clients, really integrating it into a meaningful workflow and helping them understand, wow, you know, how this changes, how this changes a game, how it gives them meaningful mm -hmm. data, how it really changes the scope of the analysis and what they're able to do in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so, I got to imagine uh, the relationships you have with uh, existing clients, there's probably problems that, that you know, BioStrain didn't even know existed. Uh, uh -huh. And you don't know until you get feedback and, and conversations going with, with clients who say, hey, I've got this problem over here. Do you think you can help us? Yep, that's yeah. exactly, and yeah. it, it, it's exactly right. And we, we've had a couple yeah. already where, you know, they, a lot of the software out there and a lot of, of the way people try to target problems today is based on sequences. And the reality is mm -hmm. you need the, you need the structure and, mm -hmm. uh, and from structure comes function. And so, you know, we have uh, a lot of clients who have dealt with key core issues in developing therapies because they they don't truly understand what the structure is and mm -hmm. how that's impacting the disease. And so mm -hmm. we have a few of those right now. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we, you know, and, and a couple of those in particular stepped up and said, mm, you know, we're working on this and it's going to be, it's going to be a really, really challenging mm -hmm. uh, thing for us to solve. I don't want to give the details of it because it's kind of, you know, specific to a particular company, but, mm -hmm. um, but absolutely when they heard about the software, even at, even at kind of a high level initially, it was, oh my gosh, I, I have a feeling that, mm -hmm. you know, that software is going to give me a whole new perspective on how mm -hmm. to address this. Uh, yeah. And and their and their their plan is to move forward with that. And so, absolutely, it's yeah. uh, it's a huge value add uh, for our clients. And then obviously for us, where our main goal has been, you know, let's let's help them every step of the way. But yeah. go, going back to what we've always said, yeah. when we help them, we have to bring the best tools forward. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't want someone to be with us just because we offer everything. You know, right. we, yeah. <laughs> we want them you, to be with us because we're the best. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You you want to solve their problems. Exactly. Yep. Now, yep. Uh, here a question I should have asked earlier: Like, how did you find BioStrand? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, uh, yeah, I've had that question like four or five times this week alone. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we uh, and that question, and also people wondering like, how did you get BioStrand instead of you know a larger pharma group? Mm -hmm. um, and I think they were the best kept secret, really. Although. To be honest, there are a couple of other groups that we do know that we're looking at BioStrand, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it but it kind of tapped into some of the greater concerns or 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 fears that the founders had, which was they might be stripped of their intellectual, you know, freedoms to really bring this to fruition to create mm -hmm. new drugs and instead get swept into a larger technology company, mm -hmm. um, and which which might have ultimately been their fate, right? Uh, you mm -hmm. know, a, a genome sequencing company or even a computer company. Um, would have great use for this software. Um, and so the, you know, the way that, the way that we found them was we actually have several internal M&A teams at Immunoprecise. 
And they're separated based on, they're classified based on like targeted areas of specialty. So we have one team that specializes in AI, machine learning, and omic data analysis. And that team has been working for about 24 months to scope out potential M&A targets. And then they report back to the rest of the executive team on, on things like changes in the competitive landscape and they work with the scientific team to build out things uh, like internal structures and services and IPA so we can align with different transformative capabilities that they've uncovered um, and, 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 and really prepare to integrate eventually into, into a large data AI um, or some sort of, uh, you know, uh, algorithm coding. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so this team, you know, they actually quite some time ago, they initiated pilot projects uh, and collaborative programs with the with the lead companies that they had selected as the primary M and A candidates, mm -hmm. and uh, that enabled us to review output products from each of those candidate uh, target M and A groups, um, and we were able to get through those outputs from those companies by last I, I think it was mid October of last year, and that that was kind of the the final part of our early stage due diligence, really get in and better understand the power, the capabilities, and the potential for all the different algorithms, machine learning, and AI, and what was truly transforming drug discovery, and what was just kind of a, a basic incremental step, which I think we see a lot of, especially in more kind of promotional language about, you know, AI and machine learning, because they're just kind of like sexy phrases people like to throw around, quite frankly. And, um, and then with BioStrand in particular, you know, we went in and we conducted one really extensive study and then a couple of smaller studies. So we had a, a case study that analyzed, this was actually really one of the cooler things I've experienced in my life. It analyzed a, a particular target happens to be the specialty of, of a, a member of our management team. And um, so they know this asset inside and out, backward and forward, this particular target. And, um, and we collected data on the BioStrand platform uh, from this protein and, um, and, and got data back really for things. It pinpointed things in the research and in the literature that were results that were immediately identifying as, uh, as, as potentially meaningful, as effective, potentially effective drug targets, but, but data points that never in 20 years of research have ever been pinpointed or selected as meaningful as a part of this target which was mind blowing. And then, and then we also did a much larger study where it revealed um, hidden, but really interesting, important correlations between the human proteome, the gut microbiome, and then also susceptibility to certain diseases. And, and I think what was really intriguing about that was also quite a big aha moment for a lot of our M&A team was the realization that there was no other software and likely no amount of time and research that would have brought together those specific data points mm -hmm. and provided us with such tangible information on like the path forward that we would go and and what a potential outcome would be. Mm -hmm. um, and so those were those were kind of in that in that search. And I, I want to say we 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 analyzed somewhere between five to seven different different software companies or companies mm -hmm. that to some extent, do software anal um, analytics coding. And, um, you know, we narrowed down to uh, three or four eventually, and then, mm -hmm. you know, completed these studies around last October. Um, but it was, it was really about the lens AI. And, and for mm -hmm. us, ultimately, you know, that was the core of everything and, and how it alters our conversation about what is meaningful in computational analytics, what is meaningful in AI, 
and and for the first time ever changing like that narrative that quite frankly i'm i'm a little tired of hearing <laughs> after so many years of us it, you know that deep due diligence for MA was about two years but it's been four years since we've been scouring this landscape right. and talking right. to these companies and and the the verbiage ultimately on the, that you know you hear behind closed doors it's all the same it's about being able to use you know, brute force to analyze massive amounts of data. And, you know, the same, the same for like, you know, Google's DeepMind, uh, you know, software. Mm -hmm. It's not about that. And then that's what we loved about this. It changes the story. It's not about how much data we can analyze and how much data we can push through and how powerful our, our, our you know, tools are for analyzing and how much storage we have. And we're, no, we don't need to eventually go to quantum computing. It's about intelligent coding, intelligent coding that provides rapid access to super meaningful data that's actionable and that actually can transform drug discovery today. And for us, that was end of story. Biostrand won that search, yeah. hands down. Wow. I, I want to go back to something you said because that blew me away. So you, you, <laughs> you mentioned a target that somebody at IPA knows fairly well Mm -hmm. that um, data was was found by Biostrand that was never found in the 20 years yep. uh, uh, of sort of research on that target. So how yep. powerful is that if you can do that with all the different targets <laughs> that are out there? And, and um, wow, okay, so that, that yeah. I, I, I yeah. think that, that sort of, you know, it, it does sort of reemphasize some of the power that this, this thing has. Now, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, we used the word HIFT a couple of times and mm -hmm. we really properly described what a HIFT is. Maybe let, let's try one more time to help people understand <laughs> what a HIFT is and uh, why that's important. Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll describe what it is, but I, I, I always fear that in, in describing what a HIFT is, that it's going to, it's going to minimize people's understanding of what's really significant about them mm -hmm. because there's what is a hip and then it's like, what is a hip in the broader context? So when we mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the genetic language and the, and the, the syntax of, of biology, and then, you know, and then there's all the aspect about what does it mean to be able to code a hip? Like a hip mm -hmm. is a, is a fingerprint, right? It's a genetic mm -hmm. fingerprint in a sequence but what's upstream of the hip and downstream of the hip and what hips can follow which hips and what parts of sequences and what cells and, and what tissues and everything, that's all super important too. Mm -hmm. And all of that information had to be taken and coded into a program. And so it involves so much more than just physics or biochemistry or an understanding or identification of a sequence. But I'm going to give it a go. Um, the, uh, I, I Keep just, it simple. I just, Keep it I, simple. I just don't want people had, to over. <laughs> if you had a piece of paper and crayon, that that, that would be the only tool yeah. you have to describe well, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll give it my best shot. So you know, I mentioned it's a it's a genetic fingerprint, which means it's something easily identifiable. It's unique. You know, it's relatively small. We can get in there and find it right away. Now, what's really important about that HIF sequence is it corresponds to a structure as well. So that HIFT fingerprint isn't just a code. It has a corresponding structure and that structure has a corresponding function. And the reason why you care about that is those functions are what cause disease. It's not the genetic sequence, right? And so, you know, if you're, if you're, 
if you're quite frankly to an, an, another interesting part of this is, is if you have a mutation that's something causing a disease like cancer, it's probably a mutation in a HIFT mm-hmm. and it probably converted the function and that function is now the wrong function and it's giving rise to a disease. Mm-hmm. And so hence, I, I think it could be again, like really oversimplified, but, but the fact is, as you mentioned previously, you know, these are, there's a finite number of sequences in the genetic code. And, you know, it, after, after years of identifying and coding those fingerprints, you know, by, by uh, Dirk and Ingrid, one thing that was, that was really clear is there, that finite number at like 660 million hips, they're, uni- they're, 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 they're universal. They are consistent throughout the biosphere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as they represent that most meaningful data in drug discovery, in the context of whether you're working with RNA or DNA or protein, they are in there and they are the most meaningful part that translates to, you know, the, the, the quality of your data discovery program. And because you can take those HIPs and you can code them into software, um, that's really what transforms the drug discovery and the conversation about what's important in AI. Um, because normally, Normally in, in analysis, if you end up with a, a bunch of DNA sequences, for instance, and you want to analyze those DNA sequences, you're going to need to push those DNA sequences through algorithms where the entirety of those DNA sequences are going to be analyzed and the majority of that information is, is useless. It's not important, but that's a ton of data to process and it increases exponentially every time you add a new DNA sequence as opposed to being able to code software based on the HIPs and then being able to take those sequences and, and be able to, to map the, fing- the fingerprints mm-hmm. and in, in, in what we refer to as a Google-like indexing, as opposed to pushing with brute force. What happens mm-hmm. is when you put your sequence data in, it just quickly searches through it all and gets rid of everything that's not meaningful. And it deduces it to the hips that are present and then pushes that data through indexed data mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the software to be able to eliminate the majority of the, of the noise, if you will, to pull back in a very, very rapid fashion only the information that is most important. And so a large part of that is due to the fact that we reduce to the hips, but a large part of it is also based on the way the software is coded mm-hmm. and the way that information is indexed um and the, and the fact that we're getting you know directly at, at what we're referring to as the syntax of of biology mm-hmm. jennifer i mean I, I keep sort of hearing these things mm-hmm. that it's like you're saving somebody a lot of time can, can you sort of quantify mm-hmm. in any way the, the time savings that this this uh, software you know produces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's um you know i i think that the the biggest time saver that we're able to offer right now off the shelf um, is the omic analysis, you know, early on. So if you're starting with, you know, tens of thousands of of data sequences, or quite frankly, if you're doing, you know, if you're using like small NGS sequences, we could be dealing with billions of sequences. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're dealing with massive amounts of data, you know, the, the, the ability to analyze any type of data mm-hmm. on one software program and then to be able to pull back 
not only that structured data, so that's the sequences mm -hmm. you're pushing information and collecting out of databases, out of clinical trial files, out of everything out there that is organized, if you will, into a database is a great example. But you're also pulling what we call unstructured data. So that's not organized. It's not in a database. It's, people have been writing about it. There's abstracts, there's some publications, there might be poster presentations, there's patent applications, like all of that, searching through all of that manually with key terms, key terms, which oftentimes in software also are not interpreted and used mm -hmm. to give you back meaningful information, which is also different right. about the Lens AI software. You know, being able to, to do all of that one time and bring all of that information back it, within the context of omics analysis for target discovery, that truly, that's cutting off anywhere from months to years of your research, depending on the software you have access to and the amount of literature research that needs to be performed. When it turns that data back, you have access to all the structured and unstructured data, which is analyzed through natural learning processes or natural language processes, mm -hmm. um, which is really not just pulling back the relevant data quickly, but it's more relevant data because the way it searches is very specific for bringing back information that is 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 very relevant to the language that you used. So there's a, a lot of great examples. We probably don't have time to go through it today, but there's great examples of how you know keyword searches tend to pick up and bring back non-meaningful data mm -hmm. outputs, right. um, whereas the software is able to cut through that uh, and to really make sure that out that output is meaningful. And then it's all there in front of you. You're able to click and search and move through the information that's been brought back and what is what is probably you know, one of the coolest things is because it's not searching entire sequences, you're not getting back all that unrelated information pertaining to the sequences that were not at all relevant to the functional or disease parting, you know, part or, or, or target portion of what you're analyzing. And, and because it isn't searching entire sequences, you're also getting back information that you probably never would have found because it deduced it to a fingerprint. You never would have known that fingerprint was the mm -hmm. key association maybe between two molecules, maybe between a molecule and a disease state, maybe between all the patients that survived a particular disease. Mm -hmm. You would never know. You just wouldn't know to search for it. And, and going back to how I love the open minds of the founders at Biostrand, mm -hmm. I think that's why the software, I think that's how they were able to create something like this software. Because this software requires you to have an open mind. When you get that data back, there are correlations that you never would have been able to find using any other software. And, and that, that's really quite a mind blowing piece, but that's because it's, you're, you're searching a different way. You're searching with different information yeah. and that information is, is more relevant and, uh, and more meaningful. Yeah, no, I, I think that's one of the big takeaways I'm getting from this is uh -huh. that it, it's it's software that a lot of it sort of thinks outside the box, and it's not uh -huh. it, it um, just that it's it sort of you you find uncorrelated things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't have thought about if you sort of think the old-fashioned way. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, quite, quite exactly quite interesting that way it tells a little bit just you know, where, where can the software go like what what can we expect to see software like this be able to do for us in the future <laughs> well um so i'll tell you about the few of the things that I mean, because I mentioned there's a lot of things that it can do right now. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that we believe it's going to be able to do in the in the shorter term. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe I'll 
I'll kind of go out there and, and just mention a few of the things that we think it might be able to do in the longer term. <laughs> and these are, you know, these are the unknowns, right? We've got probably 10 stages before that of like, we can do it now, we can do it in the next couple months, we can do this in three, four months or four months. Now I've got some kind of, some really big ideas. Um, <laughs> and and one, ideas. Of them, one of them I would be willing to even put down as a potential, as a milestone for us this fiscal year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one is what we are already referring to as next century sequencing. So that's taking next generation sequencing, which we already do at IPA and several other companies do. That's really, really rapid, high throughput sequence. Uh, sequencing, so figuring out, you know, the genetic sequence of of, uh, of different biological materials, very very rapidly compared to what we used to be able to do with traditional sequencing. But next generation or next century sequencing is taking that next generation sequencing, and it's actually using the HIFs as the backbone and the scaffold to be able to generate more functional insight from those genomic sequences. So the sequencing takes you to another level, not only speed, but what does it actually mean when you get that sequence data off? You're able to, to kind of skip over some of the more laborious studies uh, as soon as that data is provided. And then another area we're looking into, and, and, and um, we, we thoroughly believe this is possible because from a theoretical perspective, it certainly is. We just haven't tried it yet is, you know, I mentioned to you, it's really challenging to use humans or anything that's really similar to a human, right? When you are, when you're going after a target that's, that's human-based. And so, you know, people, people are oftentimes run with this challenge of, do I use antibodies from humans? uh, And then just know that I'm, I'm going to have a limited diversity you know, even worse for diversity, do I use animals from a trans, you know, a transgenic animal that makes human antibodies, you know, awesome, because I'm getting human antibodies right away, just like I was with a human. So what I get is what I get, right? What I'm working with early on is that same product I'm going to carry all the way through. And, and if I have to, I don't have to modify it. So I don't have to worry about it changing, you know, and, and, and not working anymore later. Mm. But the biggest, biggest problem with transgenic animals, which, you know, you hear us talk about, you hear a lot of people talk about them, but they are incredibly limited in genetic Mm. diversity, right? You took a very, a very limited amount of human antibody genes and put them Mm. into a mouse or a rat. And so the amount of antibody diversity and functional diversity coming from those is fairly limited. Mm. And side by side from a traditional animal that is not you know genetically modified Mm -hmm. you typically don't get anything close to the type of of diversity and results you get so that takes you to what most people do which is well we're going to use a different type of animal and then we're going to actually convert that sequence to one that's human Mm -hmm. well all of those have cons you save several months and you start with your product right away with the transgenic but you also spend tens of millions of dollars you typically have milestones and royalties not always but then you pay more up front mm-hmm. and uh, you have a really limited diversity so it's harder to get a good product out of there or you go the human route and then later you sacrifice potentially the, your products when you mm-hmm. humanize them and it's going to take a lot more time um at, on the end to humanize um although humanize services are are getting better mm-hmm. we think with this software we may be able to and and this is my bigger like grandiose plan there's like 10 things we know we can do and mm-hmm. we're do. we think we might be able to use that software to just bypass this entire problem 
And, and, and theoretically, it absolutely should be, be able to do that. Because again, we don't care about these entire sequences. We care about the hips and the hips relate to a structure and the structure relates to a function. Mm -hmm. The function is binding. So once we know the structural basis of a hip, we very well may be able to immediately convert that to a human version of a functional hip from a product that's in the laboratory. And, um, and, and, and that would be done directly on the same software. And so, you know, that's, a, that's, our, that's our, one of our big dreams. <laughs> yeah. uh, so in the meantime, you know, we've kind of got these, we have these offerings now. We have, people are really excited about them. We have ways to completely change the time frame and the quality of what they mm -hmm. come to us to develop a new drug with. In the shorter term, we have these really cool things that clients have come to us and said, you know, no one's been able to do this yet. The software sounds like it might be able to. Can we try? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have these existing capabilities where we don't already offer them, but now we can. Mm -hmm. And then we have these other things where we say, yep, you know, we're going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to build this. We're going to be able to build this. There's already software being built that's not even mm -hmm. available yet for services. Each of those levels. And then, and then, you know, some of those bigger dreams that just completely change, you know, the bigger the bigger challenges that people have had in such a meaningful way. I mean, it really sounds to me like this could have some massive impacts on how traditional drug discovery is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is being done right now. Uh, mm -hmm. This could be, this could be industry changing. That's, you know, I, I truly believe it will be. I truly believe this is the blockbuster acquisition of the century. Um, but that's also why it took us so long, right? Sifting mm -hmm. through these companies and, you know, we, we have people who specialize in, in each of these areas. We, mm -hmm. we had some people on contract, very, very well-known bioinformaticists and data analysts. And, and, you know, we would, we would mm -hmm. push through like the bioinformatics and the algorithms and through some more challenging concepts and, 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 and collaborations. And ultimately, that in the end, so many of them were just such small incremental steps, mm. a slightly different version of what someone can already do, or maybe right. making this process of lead candidate selection a little better, a little more thorough, but nothing that really changed this conversation about where we're going, you mm. know, about how this can be done in a so, so much more efficient way. Um, and, and that provides an entire roadmap for the future about mm how to get everywhere we want to go. It's mm -hmm. based on intelligent coding now. It's not based on, you know, more force, more power, more energy, and, you know, eventually the, the quantum computing, which was kind of funny mm -hmm. for people to always be throwing that out. It's, mm -hmm. it, it transforms the story in a, in a really mm -hmm. meaningful way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned you're going to go to PEGS, you mentioned, you know, you've got some clients here that are sort of early adopters, but how do you really get the message out? Give us sort of the, a little bit more granular detail. How do you show this offering to your clients or even companies that aren't clients right now? How do they find out mm -hmm. about us? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's a, a good point. So, um, well, I think I mentioned, did I mention that, that the member of management will actually be the keynote speaker at PEGS? I think I yes. did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so really getting that messaging out there, I think there's a few ways. So, you know, right now, as I mentioned, we have some early adopters. We won't really push, push, push this messaging mm -hmm. more broadly until we hit that PEGS event. 
Um, getting that messaging out at PIGS is our primary goal. Um, it really start to get that information flowing uh, to, to different prospective clients. But we also have to tap into a, a new set of individuals too, um, where there's cross-communication internally, but those individuals who really understand the bioinformatics and the need for the omic analysis that oftentimes are handing down the target to you know, the person in charge of drug discovery. Um, and so... And so there's a there's a few different ways that uh, that that we've already gone about starting to tackle this. You know, we we have first of all a good understanding of who those decision makers are at companies and who's involved on in that bioinformatics side. Um, and it's a it's a it is a different way of targeting. And oftentimes those are those are much more personalized conversations uh, with members of management. And then in addition to that, you know, with our with our existing clientele, a lot of it is really making, a lot of it is making it accessible and, and, and bite-sized for them to really understand, okay, here's the point that I'm at, or here's what I'm doing, and here's exactly how this is going to make this bigger or faster or better at the end of this particular project. And that's what we've been working on in the marketing with visuals to show exactly step-by-step -step what they can bite into. Mm -hmm. um, and with a lot of the early adopters too, getting them to agree that that data that we that we produced, whether it was a custom project they came up with or something that that you know we could already offer, that data to, uh, we've mutually agreed to be able to convert into marketing material. So we will almost immediately have case studies of projects done between IPA and BioStrand for our clients uh, mm -hmm. to be able to share with other clients um, and to be able to demonstrate its capabilities, and then. And the power of that uh, in a meaningful way, right? Mm -hmm. With hard and fast data, which is exactly how we got the function first platform to take off. We collected metadata in that case for two years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then wow. we crunched it and showed people and they're like, you know, we, we basically said, you know, here's us, here's everything mm -hmm. we can do. Here's the competitors is just mm -hmm. numbers and stats now. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, that's a large part of, of how we're looking at approaching this, but also taking into consideration that our client attrition rate is so low. We have a, mm -hmm. a retention rate of over 95%. And those clients tend to be not only loyal, happy clients, but a lot of our, our onboarding of new clients comes from people spreading word of mouth. Um, and, and that's something that I think we can really help catch fire with, with having something that's so distinctive mm -hmm. in these offerings where they can't go somewhere else and get these types of offerings. And so, um, you know, those are all areas that we're tapping into with our, mm -hmm. with our sales team. Mm -hmm. and, and then, um, is, is it possible to expect that, um, as you guys are, you know, using BioStrand, uh, more for your sort of internal, you know, your talent assets, uh, can we expect that at some point we get an update uh, saying, hey, you know, this is what BioStrand is able to do for, for what we're doing inside Talon? Yeah, that, that's possible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm fishing. I'm fishing it's a little a, bit, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually love that idea, Paul, because it's very, it's a lot easier than being able to share updates with existing partners. Mm -hmm. Right now Perfect. we have several partners that just don't want updates shared. They're like, no, 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 this is, you know, this is not something we would normally share. We don't mm. want anybody out there knowing where we're at in a project, right? Um, mm. Or any details on it. And when it comes to us as a Talam, as a, you know, a, a sole owner of a particular asset, that's a great opportunity for us to be able to showcase mm -hmm. exactly what we've done and, and, um, and, and how it helped us. And um, almost immediately uh, last week, 
We also started sharing Talum data with BioStrand saying, this is this project, this is where it's at, you know, and they had already kind of already tapped into a couple of those programs, um, but really starting to feed them mass data sets to be able to see what they can do. So, you know, twofold, it, it improves the quality of those Talum programs. It gives BioStrand, you know, hands-on experience in doing exactly mm -hmm. what is important in this type of drug discovery, mm -hmm. but also because it's, it's information owned by Talum, uh, the, the sequences are owned by Talum, it gives us the ability to, you know, not only test out some of these, these new things and see how they enhance the program, but convert it also to marketing data and case mm -hmm. studies. You know, we, we just redact the, the, inf the information that would be a potential liability uh, and, and anything that might be what we would call an early disclosure. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have any risk associated for our patent applications. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we use that to go out and show the people the power of those capabilities. So absolutely. I would assume yeah. Talum is the, the earliest of early adopters, uh, for yeah. this, this service, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could not wait. <laughs> I think we, we handed over a ton of different lead candidates and it's so fun, yeah. you know, so fun for BioStrand too, to be able to have access to that sort of information and, and, yeah. and, and so many data points around that sort of information, you know? So yeah, it's, it was fun. It's, it'll Fantastic. be great. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, I mean, we've covered so much of uh, the BioStrand <laughs> uh, piece here, but um, what are a few other milestones uh, we can look forward to sort of over the coming year? Oh, yeah. So milestones. We've been talking about those a lot lately because mm -hmm. we are we're about to wrap up our fiscal year in like less than two weeks. Um, mm -hmm. and, and again, for some of you who might not be as familiar with IPA, we are actually just closing out our 2022 fiscal year. Um, and so starting May 1st, we'll, we'll, we'll start our fiscal 2023 uh, uh, year. And, um, but yeah, as far as a few milestones we're looking forward to in the shorter term, the first one is, is our first $5 million quarter. Gosh darn it, <laughs> we're gonna get there soon. We have to, um, but things are just going so well, you know, and that's been, a, that's been a minor, that's a small milestone, but it's meaningful because it's, you know, we just continue to trend in the right direction. and. You know, we've been talking about how our just our pipeline continues to look really good, and um, and so we're we're really focused on meeting that that milestone in the near future here. And then, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about for the last couple of quarters, and we've been working on it, working on in the sense that we invested in and built out a brand new vivarium facility in Victoria, British Columbia. And, um, and it does all sorts of stuff for us. So I won't get into all of that, but as far as a milestone, um, you know, we're really looking now to develop and, and offer additional preclinical services there, like efficacy of particular um, therapies to, to protect against or, or treat diseases, um, PK and, and talk studies that can be done to assess the safety of, of different antibodies. Those are not capabilities that we presently have, and they start to kind of gear us up also for the ability to do that type of work in, in, a, in a GLP or good laboratory practice format. And, and why that's different and why that's important is we can do all those studies, you know, for people at this, at this new facility. And, and that keeps us them with us longer. We've developed the drug, right? They're ready to go on and see, is it, is it truly successful in these animals? Is it really stopping? I'm just gonna keep with my cancer example. Is it really stopping the cancer from spreading, doing what we think it's gonna do? That's kind of that last step, right? Before you go, right, well, it's working. We're ready to go into a human. 
um, that's just another way for us to keep clients with us and to keep, keep quite frankly, spending money with us and keep mm -hmm. that relationship going. But the very next step after that is, well, moving into, you know, GLP or GMP manufacturing. It's a manufacturing level that is used to create a product that has more quality control around it. So you know that product is made a certain way and you have all the details about it. And the ability to take a higher quality product and use in the same animals with those same protocols means that, you know, we would be eligible to provide the IND enabling studies to regulatory bodies so that they can make a judgment on whether the product goes to the clinic. And, and that's not a capability that most CROs have mm -hmm. um, and would be a, a wonderful addition forward. And in addition to that, you know, with the GLP and the ability to tie that into those animal services for IND enabling studies, we uh, are looking to move more meaningfully into the GMP manufacturing services too. So that extends our, our capabilities beyond research and development and into what's called the CDMO space, um, mm. which is clinical manufacturing, building the product, making the final product that goes into the human. Mm. Um, so those are, are, are some of the, the key milestones that we're looking forward to here in the next couple quarters. Um, really, you know, meaningful progress in the preclinical and clinical manufacturing, preclinical trials. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned previously, but I'd also consider it a milestone, that next century sequencing, where we take that next gen sequencing and then it utilizes the HIPs and, and mm -hmm. um, generates functional insights from those genomic sequences. That's not that, that really, I, I believe, would be truly transformative in terms of people's ability to collect massive sequence data that automatically has meaning. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I gave you kind of four, four goals there that I think mm -hmm. are pretty reasonable, you know, shorter term goals. And then um, as we're really kind of wrapping up this fiscal year and, and looking forward to the next year, um, uh, you know, that starts in two weeks, uh, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, uh, will continue to provide some milestones for people to watch for and, uh, and look forward to. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm assuming what you really uh, are trying to tell me is uh, uh, next couple of weeks or um, after the uh, fiscal year end, we'll, we may get some other updates that mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're not uh, to say <laughs> right now, which is fair enough, fair enough. Um, it, clearly everybody's uh, pretty um, you know, interested in hearing how the talent pipelines coming along. So I'm, I'm assuming mm -hmm. when you have some data, you'll, you'll make it public for everybody. Is that correct? We will. So yeah. what we're going to be looking to do, you know, we just have so much, so much information right now and so many mm -hmm. things going on. And, um, you know, we'll, as we wrap up our, our, our fiscal year end, uh, what we really don't want to do is kind of wait to the AGM time to give updates. So we are going to plan some interim uh, publicly announced calls where we will bring everybody bring everybody in to give updates um, both on our Q4, but also updates of what's happening in Tolum and some more updates on BioStrand as well. Fantastic. Um, okay, well, we're we're sort of at nearing the end here, and what we always like to do is just give you an opportunity to sort of give a, a key takeaway or parting message, or you know, cover anything we have we may have missed. But more importantly, mm -hmm. what, what's the message you want everybody to walk away with today? A message to walk away with. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think the first one would be, you know, we 
we, we you know, we, we started off with this vision, right? Like four or five years ago. <laughs> and that vision, you know, we knew where we needed to go and we knew where we wanted to be. And we, I always said, you know, we, we want to bring the most transformative technologies into this company. And they're not always what I think the mass public thinks what they are, right? I, I, I think oftentimes what's out there requires much more than just listening to the chatter, but it's that ear to the ground with the right groups and the right people and really getting into digging deep about what's meaningful and what's transformative. And, you know, we set out to do that quite some time ago. And, um, and it's so interesting how our vision, you know, we, we were able to kind of provide pieces of it as we go because we have to keep our cards a little bit close to our chest and not tip off our competition. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, our vision, it, while it does tend to get a little clearer and crystallize as we pinpoint, oh yeah, that is it. That's what we've been looking for, for instance, mm -hmm. with Biostrand. That vision hasn't changed. And what's really changed for us is, you know, for those of you who have been and with us on this, on this journey, we spent years rebuilding, you know, this company and structuring it in a way that it was solid foundationally and it gave me access to the data that I needed at my fingerprint, my fingers and the, and the, and the finance team access to the information they needed globally at their fingertips for us to be able to ensure that we could uh, really have solid insights and visuals into finances, into sciences, into the way we run things and get the right people in the right seats and, and rebuild in almost every way you can possibly imagine from restructuring every site, some more significantly than others, building a new site for controlling all of the overseeing of, of uh, back office and, and global activities, you know, um, streamlining the CROs to get them to the point where they are today, where they are all profitable, all the CRO business itself in and of itself is profitable. And our spend and our loss is related to building assets, mm -hmm. building value-add assets in Tolum. And, and, and then, of course, you know, our, our dual listing up onto the NASDAQ to get us to the point where, you know, we had some of the funding we needed to move forward. And this whole journey has really brought us to where we are today you know, where in this last, you know, six to eight months, we have really been able to put more focus into making that vision happen um, and, and really starting to execute on a lot of these milestones that we've been pointing to and pointing to, you know, as a vision, as a broader, longer term vision for the company over the last year to year and a half and really execute those on those. And, and gosh darn it, I think execute really well with BioStrand and what we've brought forward here and, um, and we're just, we're so excited to see these pieces falling together. I shouldn't say falling because it, it kind of indicates entropy. And this has been a ton of energy, <laughs> but coming together, coming together in a way to build this company where we have this vision in our head still, and we're still just partway there, but that vision continues to crystallize and that vision continues to become more and more in reach as we continue to execute on these strategies. So I think I said it in the beginning of this fiscal year, we are so excited about this fiscal year and getting to a point where, you know, we, we raise the money, we have the foundation, we can start executing on these strategies. Now we've done that. And now this year for us is even more exciting. I, it's a challenging market. These are challenging times with a lot of unknowns happening. And I think we're, we're swimming against the current of the market, but also against the current of where most of our competition is going, which is the wrong direction. And we're embracing very cautiously 
um, but embracing, you know, what we believe we will be able to accomplish this year. And I, I think we're even more excited than last year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that take home is that is that I think just that pure excitement and that pure belief that our vision uh, really, really will be something that everyone looks back on and says, oh, my gosh, that was it. That made sense. That changed. That changed the course of, of history for for life sciences. I, I, I love to end it on changing the history of life sciences. <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. I agree with you. I'm, I'm you know, very excited about, um, you know, the, the sort of the new phase that the company's entering right now. I know you've been working very hard to get a position mm -hmm. for this type of uh, opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I couldn't be, uh, you know, more excited than where you guys are positioned right now. And and agree um, a lot of things to look forward to as we sort of embark on a new fiscal year. Um, so I want to personally thank you for all the hard work you're putting in, Jennifer, um, and certainly want to thank you for uh, joining us today. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Jennifer Bath, the CEO of Immunoprecise Antibodies, symbol IPA on the Venture Exchange and IPA on NASDAQ. Um, one last time, I want to thank you, Jennifer, and uh, certainly look forward to catching up with you, and, and good luck uh, as we end the fiscal year here. Thank you, Paul. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You got it.